Would you pray with me? Almighty God, already you have spoken to us. In your spirit moving through the music, in your word proclaimed from the scriptures. You are moving this morning. You are speaking, and we give you thanks for that. We pray that you would keep on speaking, and I ask that you would even do that through me. Would, would you let your truth come out of my mouth? And would your Holy Spirit take your truth and plant it deep in all our hearts this morning? Open our eyes, O Lord, to see the wonderful things of your instruction. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I know some of y'all are thinking, that guy looks kind of funny for a sound guy. Uh, but I was ordained here at this church um, and have for the last five years uh, been a church planter here on the First Coast. And it's my pleasure to bring greetings uh, from the New Anglican Missionary Society this morning as well, um, NAMS, a global missionary society. And I'll tell you more about that, I'm sure, later. I'm not sure what you think of when you hear Jesus say the words, kingdom of God. You know, we don't have a whole lot of kingdoms around here, uh, politically speaking, although it's a perpetuated metaphor still, I think, kingdoms. But at a basic level, a kingdom, of course, is where a king reigns. Where the king exercises authority, there is his kingdom. And where the king is not obeyed, well, by definition, that is not his kingdom. What is the dominion of God's reign like, is the question Jesus asks. What is it like where God reigns, where God is king? What is the kingdom of God like? What kind of comparison can we make? Well, it's like a grain of mustard seed. I thought about putting a picture of one on the screen, um, <clears throat> you know, life-size, but you wouldn't be able to see it. It's, I mean, unimaginably tiny. Uh, and I, re I realized as I was preparing this week, I should have brought mustard seed as my sensory experience last week. That would have been, oh, oh well, or two weeks ago when I was here uh, with, with the table. A mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, Jesus says, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade, can make their nest in its shade. Over and over and over again in history, God has chosen to start something big with something so small it can hardly be seen. He founded a nation by calling one man who brought his small household and like a seed buried in the ground, he died to his old way of life, leaving behind everything he knew to start a new one. And for decades, he meandered around the ancient Near East, mostly in obscurity, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. 
But if you know the story, you know the promise has been fulfilled. The descendants of that one man, spiritual and biological, are too numerous to count. Praise God for his faithfulness. Jesus comes a little later, a single man, lowly in stature, obscure, unorthodox, unpopular among every group with power. Can there be a smaller beginning? He dies as every seed must. And a global movement is born, or whatever. I mean, you could, you're the church, right? A religion, a global faith community. Two billion people, give or take, claim to follow him today. And it began with one, one man, one tiny seed. Of course, that was not instantaneous either. He ministered for years without amassing much buzz, to be honest. And even after his death and his resurrection, 150 people counted themselves as followers. Slowly, those followers themselves became seeds. The seeds of communities, the seeds of churches. And soon there were churches where those seeds had gone and been buried and grown up, those churches began sending out grains of mustard seed, impossibly small seeds, but containing in themselves, by a miracle of God's grace, the DNA of the whole kingdom. Many of us, maybe all of us, long to see big movements of God. Right here in our neighborhoods, maybe in our households, certainly in our counties, in our nation, in the nations of the world. I know that in my county, if every church was packed twice a day on Sunday, we could fit maybe 20% of our county. I think it's about the same in Clay. We know those churches aren't packed to the gills twice a day, every day on Sunday. We could use a big movement right here. Big movements of Jesus' kingdom have almost always had small beginnings. Think of, you know, the fruit of Billy Graham's ministry is stadiums packed with people around the globe. It began with one man, one boy, one boy inviting one friend to a revival. Nearly all of Ireland came into God's kingdom when a former slave turned bishop evangelist, could use a few of those, and a few of his helpers began in the 5th century working among the Celtic peoples, one extended family at a time. All of Britain was re-evangelized when the seeds of that movement and a few little seeds from Rome converged and what is now England, and the Church of England, as we know it, came to be. And that took centuries, and the spiritual descendants of that movement have gone as missionaries to almost every nation around the world. So we must never look with disdain upon a community, even a community of two, 
working to make disciples and spread the kingdom of God because it's too small. But it got me thinking, why does the kingdom spread and grow at all? G.K. Chesterton wrote, uh, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Living in the kingdom of God is difficult. Why? I mean, you hear people talk about it. You know, you'd think God was up there just scheming up ways to take all our fun sometimes. Uh, you know, I, and of course I know that's not true. I hope all of you know that's not true. But why would, I mean, why would anybody choose this? I mean, all right, so don't steal, don't murder. Okay, those ten, we kind of, all right, that's not too bad. Can't get that. And then don't, don't even covet. Don't even want to take something. Don't even relish your anger towards your brother or friend. Okay, well, I could kind of see how that might, maybe, might make the world a better place. Okay. Sell all you have and give to the poor. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Love Jesus as Jesus, oh, sorry, love the We'll definitely love Jesus, but love one another as Jesus loves his church, and he died for the church. Well, who, would, who would pick that? All sorts of things might drive a person to Jesus, but ultimately, ultimately, those people find themselves becoming citizens of God's kingdom because a kernel, the smallest mustard seed of truth, takes root. And that is, Jesus is Lord. You know, we'll say a creed later, we'll say it's a very ancient creed, and it is very old, but there is one older, at least. Jesus is Lord was the first statement of faith in the New Testament. Jesus is Lord. And when that is not just sown, but takes root, the cost-benefit analysis doesn't matter. What you give up or what comes to you unfairly because of your faith is not weighed against what you could get. And if we're leaning on, well, yeah, it's expensive, but look what you get, look what you get in return. You know, the, the Christian way is too hard for that. But if it's true, then it's true. And it is that little seed of truth that leads to the growth of faith. Too many have suffered and died, as we were reminded already this morning in that beautiful prelude and the story behind it, because they followed Jesus for a good cost-benefit analysis to win out. It's always been this way. When St. Paul is asked the question, what is the point of all this? What are you doing? He does not say, well, look at how much better my life got. Like, now I'm living my best life. I'm packing out the stadiums. You know, all the arenas now, they're about Jesus. That didn't happen. We think of him as this brilliantly successful church planter, and he did get a lot of churches started. But we're talking about dozens of people in these cities in an empire of millions, small beginnings. He doesn't say, look at my life. He says, look at our message. Jesus is Lord. 
And of course, discovering what that means leads to all sorts of things, including a new understanding of what a good life is. If our idea of the good life today is mainly based around the kind of car we can eventually afford and the sort of travel we can do as retirees and, you know, the picture-perfect extended family, Jesus is not a guarantee to get what you want. When we discover how good God is, the news that Jesus is Lord is everything. Our lives are realigned, recentered on the divine life itself rather than our own. Like the grain of a mustard seed when sown into the ground, the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. When the kingdom of God comes into a man's heart, into a woman's heart, even in the heart of a child, and germinates, it is like a mustard seed that puts down roots that begin to grow deep. And it puts out branches that stretch up and out. God gives the growth. We heard that last week. God gives the growth. You can't make a seed grow. There's no magic to it. A seed grows because that's what it does. What we can do is tend the seed. God gives the growth. We can tend the seed. But God gives that growth, Jesus says, not Sam, Jesus says, so that we will be able to reach out and embrace others. That's why these movements grow. God grows them so that they will grow and bring in others. Not so our churches can finally afford the expansion we want. Not so that we can attain security and safety. Not so we can get all the material success we want. God gives the growth so others will come out and take refuge in his kingdom. Conversion, transformation, new life in Christ, regeneration, being saved, being all these words, whatever word you want to throw in there, for the sake of others. For the sake of others. Empowered by God's own presence in our lives, we become, when that mustard seed takes root and puts out its branches, we become directed toward and willing and even empowered for sacrificially loving and serving others. As citizens of God's kingdom, we become participants in God's own plan to redeem all that has fallen away. Living missionally, making disciples is not a special call to which some of you will graduate. It's not what the really good Christians do, like when they get bored, or if they read enough of the Bible, or they do enough church programs. It is the nature of being a citizen. It is what mustard seed does when it's planted. It puts down roots. It sprouts branches that reach up and out. The nature of being a follower and disciple of Jesus. A sacred duty. Every citizen.
in the kingdom. Now, Jesus' final command. See, this is the, we, we talk about the Great Commission. You guys, do you know the Great Commission? Okay, one, two. Two of you know it. <laughs> the Great Commission. And when we use that word, sometimes I think um, we do stress its importance, but we sometimes maybe make it unreal. Like that's the really great Christians do the really great commission. And maybe some of you just want like the, the middle commission, you know, like the Fleming Island commission. But the great commission is Jesus's final command before he ascends to heaven and takes his rightful place. Go and make disciples, the final command of Jesus. It's not this massive thing we spend our whole lives working toward and maybe get to. It's the final command for all who have received the love offered by him and have set their hearts upon him. It is the nature of being a disciple. Does it seem too much? Paul, if you caught it, St. Paul counted it as God's mercy to have that call. And indeed, God uses our missional living to reach us. Our stretching up and stretching out is a way God will, in fact, bring us more into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart for God who created everything. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Does light? Okay, so seed, seed grows. That's what seed does. Does light shine out of darkness? Does light shine out of darkness? Only when God does something really special. So the God who can make light shine out of darkness, that God has shown into our hearts, not just Paul's heart, not just Paul's team's heart, our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Last week in Mark's gospel, we heard about the way seed all by itself grows up. That's what it does when we tend it, when it's in the right place, the seed does what it does because God gives the growth. When true faith takes root in us because we have truly believed the gospel of God, that's what we do. It becomes our nature. We die in the ground of baptism. The way that all seeds die to their old way of being a seed, dying to the old way of being the God of our own lives, and we rise in the new life of faith as living sacrifices, sacrifices that couldn't stay dead because Jesus died and he couldn't stay dead. We are mustard seeds, meant to live by the Holy Spirit, meant to live lives that by nature, up and out to bring people in. Not living lives hoping somebody notices a difference, Living lives so that the birds of the air will come in and make their nests with intentionality according to our new nature. Loving Jesus, living in obedience to Jesus, and telling what we know to others, including in our own families, 
moms, dads, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, but friends, co-workers, and strangers too. What can we do? First of all, if you didn't hear Dan's sermon last week, he has a lot of practical tips to actually do the stuff I'm going to tell you that you should think about. First, be tending the seed. That little kernel of truth that has been planted in you, as it grows, tend the seed of faith. You will not notice what you should be doing, or I should say you are more likely to notice what you should be doing. I'll make that positive. Make a note here. Um, they say a sermon's not finished till it's preached. If you, uh, you know, right now. Um, you will notice what God is asking you to do if you are paying attention to what he's saying today in his scriptures and if you're listening to the Holy Spirit in prayer. Be attentive. Second, be praying. I do not know of any movements of God that began without prayer. Be praying. Pray for your own mission to those in your life. Keep the great commission, the final command in your prayers. Pray for global mission. I guarantee if you are praying for the spread of the gospel around the whole world, God knows that means also right here. And you will be more ready to do what God is asking you to do when he asks. Who knows where he'll send you? It could be like to the usher team. It could be to Uganda. But I know that if you answer that call, you will find it will have been an act of God's mercy to obey. Third, when opportunities come, seize them. Lay hold of them. Alpha begins tonight. It's not too late for God. Alpha begins tonight. I don't think this will be the last Alpha course run here either. Think about the next one. Who can you invite? Who can you get to know so you can invite them next time? There's going to be a meeting about a mission to St. John's County after the service, right? See, I read the newsletter. (laughs) After the service, if that makes you excited, go listen. God might not be asking you to, he's not going to ask you to move to St. John's County because you went to a meeting. But go if it makes you excited. God might be speaking to you. It might be a hassle. It might disrupt brunch plans. Go anyway. Inviting someone to Alpha might disrupt, you know, your family routine. Do it anyway. People in your family even might go, oh, he's one of those people. Do it anyway. Obey the Holy Spirit. Seize the opportunity. Finally, you don't need a church program. Jesus promises that when two or three are gathered together in his name, his spirit will be with them. Two or three people can themselves be the mustard seed of an important movement of God. Two or three gathered together to help one another learn to follow Jesus. Learning how Jesus will change their lives, will change their families, will change their neighborhoods, their schools, their workplaces, their cities, and their nations. Two or three gathered together in Jesus' name will grow larger and larger. Extending branches so that others may come in. It is the nature of the seed. And Nam's entire ministry is based on this principle. Disciples make disciples. Every disciple can make one more. And Jesus can begin a movement 
with two disciples that will change a nation. I'll tell you later. You come by my little table out there. I'll tell you later. Two people. And Jesus can begin a movement that will change a nation with two or three gathered together in his name. Are you ready? What's stopping you from living according to the new, your new nature as mustard seeds? Who's discipling you? Who are you discipling? It could be the same person. Are you keeping in your prayers God's promises to rescue those who are far from him as he rescued you? What today, not tomorrow, not when things calm down, today, what today can you do in accordance with the mercy of Jesus' final command? Let's pray. Lord, you give the great commission. You gave that final command for all to obey. And I pray that there are those hearing it today who for the first time had discovered it is for them. Would you put into their hearts now, this morning, today, and in the days to come, the names of people that you are calling them to love into your kingdom? Would you strengthen our roots? Would you give growth to our branches that all may come within the reach of your saving embrace? According to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by the miraculous power of your own Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All the major-